Amen to the wonderful message of that song. Were you blessed by it? Amen. The greatest of uh, these wonderful virtues found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is no other than the love that comes from God, the love of God, that uh, agape kind of love, that uh, eternal, sacrificial, and uh, un unconditional love that uh, was demonstrated to us when Christ our Savior hung on the cross 2,000 years ago for the penalty of our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us so he could uh, fulfill uh, the righteousness that God the Father is asking for uh, us as human beings who failed God. And we thank God for that verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commended or God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the reason we are gathered here tonight uh, for uh, Bible study because the love of God uh, has been experienced by us through uh, the time of our salvation. So tonight, welcome to our Friday Joint Bible Study. Uh, I can't believe it's already the last Friday of the month of February, and we thank God for all of our, our uh, home Bible studies virtually, uh, being led by our uh, deacons and our men in our church. Thank you for uh, teaching the Word of God and uh, discipling our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So tonight, uh, it's my privilege to once again open the, the Word of God and we will uh, continue our series of studies in the book of Revelation. And we know the book of Revelation is the last book of uh, the 66 books that we have in our Bibles, both Old and New Testament. So um, before we continue on, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. And once again, thank you for um, tuning in in having a desire to uh, study God's word together tonight. So let's have a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We thank you for this day, for another day of life you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, first and foremost for the great love that we experience in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for making us uh, part of your family, eternal family. Thank you, Lord, for um, the freedom that we have, that we can once again have this opportunity to uh, open our Bibles, have a freedom of worship, freedom of religion, and we thank you, Lord, for just sustaining us throughout the whole day with your tender mercies and grace and truth. And thank you, Lord, that um, you've given us, Lord, the uh, opportunity to uh, look upon your word as a church uh, with our friends and I pray, Father, for your uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for wisdom as we uh, rightly divide the word of truth that we have tonight. We pray, Lord, that the name of Christ will be honored and magnified and lifted up. We pray, Father, if uh, there's any sins in our hearts, uh, things that we've committed today that's not pleasing to your sight, I pray for your forgiveness, for your cleansing. We pray, Lord, that... Uh, May your word will have a free course in our hearts today. Hide me behind uh, the shadow of the cross and um, help me with my uh, infirmities and in my uh, incapabilities that uh, the message from your word will be uh, seen and heard tonight. And we praise you for who you are and what you've done. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a way of uh, review with the book of Revelation, we'll be uh, having some slides here. Actually, I got this uh, summary of an outline of the book of Revelation from Dr. Uh, Vernon McGee and some other folks uh, from Dr. Clarence Larkin and the Barnhouse, a lot of uh, wonderful uh, commentaries in study Bible. As we all know, this uh, was written by the last uh, remaining apostle who was not martyred. 2,000 years ago by John the Apostle, John the Beloved, written about AD 95 when he was exiled in the Isle of Patmos after a failed uh, attempt to kill him. Uh, tradition says he was um, 
tried to uh, be boiled to death, but he survived, and he was uh, thrown to that um, desert place, that wilderness in the Isle of Patmos. But during that time, uh, God had appeared to him in a vision and told him to pen the last book of the Bible. And there are theories of uh, interpretation that had been uh, used to approach this book, and this can be divided into four major systems. Brodus lists seven theories. These are Bible scholars of interpretation, but Tragulus lists three. But the most famous are these four. Well, first is the Preterist theory that all of Revelation has been fulfilled in the past. It had to do with local references in John's day. It had to do with the days of either Nero or Domitian, these are Roman emperors that severely persecuted the known church during the time, Emperor Nero and Domitian. And with Domitian, there are 10 waves of severe persecution that the early church had experienced. This view was held by, Roma, by Renan and most German scholars also by Iliad. Second is the historical theory. Fulfillment of revelation is going on in history, and revelation is the prophetic history of the church according to this theory. Thirdly is the historical spiritual theory. This theory is a refinement of the historical theory and was advanced by Sir William Ramsay. It states that the two beasts uh, found in later on chapters are imperial and provincial, provincial Rome. The point of the book is to encourage Christians according to this theory. Revelation has been largely fulfilled and there are spiritual lessons for the church today. So they treat this as allegorical. Amillennialism, those who don't believe in the literal 1,000-year reign of Christ, for the most part has adopted this view. It dissipates and defeats the purpose of the book. So the first three, we don't hold to those views and theories. The, the fourth one is the one that we hold as Bible believers, as born again, as uh, premillennialists and dispensationalists. It's called the Futurist Theory. This theory holds that the book of Revelation is primarily prophetic and yet future, especially from Revelation chapter 4 on to the end of the book. This is the view of uh, most of the Bible-believing churches. All right? So some striking features with this book. Uh, it is the only prophetic book in the New Testament in contrast to 17 prophetic books in the Old Testament. All right, name me one of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, folks, inside the church. Of course, there's those uh, major prophets, isn't it? Like Ezekiel, you know, and, and Daniel. Those are part of those uh, prophetic books in the scripture. Some of them are parts of Psalms. But in the New Testament, there's only one. It's the book of Revelation. So John, the writer, who's also the writer of the Gospel of John, the epistle of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Uh, he's one of the inner circle, uh, the three most uh, closest to Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, namely Peter, James, and John. So this is John the Beloved, the one who's always close to uh, Jesus, you know, and um, he's the writer. He reaches farther back into eternity past than any other writer in Scripture, as the Bible says in John Chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. The same was in the beginning with God. So that beginning there is Jesus Christ, the word Logos. So He reaches all the way from eternity past, but also who reaches farther into eternity future in the book of Revelation. Because later on, in our main studies, we will see the new Jerusalem from after the millennial reign and the great white throne that we had studied um, a month ago, then comes the eternity, eternity state. So, John the Beloved reaches past all the way from eternity past to eternity future. So, his scope of his writing is, you know, really, really long. And there's a special blessing is promised to the readers of this book. That's why we are studying it. Revelation 1.3, it says, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. 
And praise be to God because of um, a lot of studies, commentaries of reputable Bible scholars, the book of Revelation is something that we can now understand, you know, and be able to comprehend. So there's a blessing of studying, and, and God admonishes us to study the, uh, all the books of the Bible. That's why we're having series of studies. So um, it's a special blessing for those who reads it and study it, but also, likewise, a warning is issued to those who tamper with its contents. All right? There's curses, and uh, uh, bad things will happen to those people who... Adds, as the Bible says in Revelation 22, verse 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So that's a warning there. We need to take heed because... We cannot add because God's word is already complete. Amen? There is no more extra revelation right now. So don't believe somebody who says, Oh, the Lord had appeared to me in a vision. Or there's an angel that talked to me. And there's a message from God that I heard audibly. Uh, and you know, those things are not so because we have the complete word of God. The complete revelation. Everything that we need to know about the past, the present, and the future about Christianity is all written now in the Bible. It is complete. So, Revelation next is not a sealed book. As Revelation 22 verse 10 says, let me read. And he said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. But, in contrast, Daniel chapter 12 verse 9 is a sealed book. You know? And, uh, Daniel and Revelation has to be studied hand by hand, you know, in order to fully comprehend the book of Revelation. But Daniel is a sealed book because there are things there that was not understood by the time that Daniel was writing it, you know. And uh, But now we know because we're now looking backward uh, at what had happened in the scriptures. So... It is a series of visions expressed in symbols. And next, this book is like a great union station where the great trunk lines of prophecy come from other portions of Scripture. Revelation does not originate, take note, but consummates. It does not originate, but consummates. So what had happened in uh, the 65 books of the Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of Jude has been completed in the book of Revelation. Everything has been uh, fulfilled. That's what the word consummate means. Fulfilled, completed, perfected. And we can see that in the book of Revelation because it is what we call the unveiling. You know, the apocalypse, the unveiling of things to come. So, it is imperative to a right understanding of the book to be able to trace each great subject of prophecy from the first reference to the terminal. There are at least 10 great subjects of prophecy which find their consummation here as we've been studying for many months. All right, First is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that passage of Scripture, Genesis 3.15. This is the first pronouncement of the gospel, what they called the Proto-Evangelium, because after the fall of man, when the curse was uh, pronounced to the, to the ser serpent, to Satan, and to the soil, and of course to man, the first man and woman, we know that there was a promise, redemption, a promised seed. I will put enmity or a conflict when this uh, was prophesied to the woman and the serpent, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thy head and it shall bruise thy heel. So, the promised seed there is the Lord Jesus Christ. It was fulfilled in the book of Matthew as the Virgin Mary uh, conceived Jesus Christ supernaturally, miraculously through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the promised seed. And it had happened after 4,000 years when it was promised to Eve. 
And then, and throughout those times, Satan had tried to destroy the promised seed, tried try to kill off the promised line, the promised Messiah, but he did not succeed because our God is always sovereign. Amen? He's always in control. He's always one, two, five steps ahead of Satan because he is the God who rules and reigns. And it was fulfilled all the way to Revelation because in chapter 1, Christ now is that fulfilled promised Messiah and he ascended up into heaven and he came back in his glorified form. So the person of Christ was consummate all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Second is the church, Matthew 16, 18. And this is Christ saying to his disciples, you know, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we know from the Old Testament, the church was just a mystery, but it was fulfilled in the New Testament and consummated in the book of Revelation, where the church, everybody that been saved, both Jewish and Gentiles, belong to the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and they are there in heaven uh, with the marriage supper of the Lamb and coming back with Christ to rule and reign for His millennial reign. Third is the resurrection and translation of saints. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, that great chapter about the rapture, and 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, you know, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, we shall all be changed. For the Lord himself in 1 Thessalonians shall descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Great verses about the resurrection and translation of saints. And those are consummated, fulfilled, perfected in the book of Revelation as we had studied. Then, I'll just enumerate the great tribulation, Deuteronomy 4, 30 and 31. Satan and evil, you know, he'll be judged for all eternity, will be cast into the lake of fire and all his demons. Uh, the man of sin, Ezekiel 28, verse 1 to 10, that Antichrist. The course and end of apostate Christendom in Daniel 2.31. The beginning, number eight, course and end of the times of the Gentiles. That consummated also in the book of Revelation. You know, the second coming of Christ, Jude 14 and 15. All right, let me just read that passage of scripture. Very interesting. It says there, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam. Hmm. Seven means uh, completeness, perfection in numerology. Prophesied of this saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Wow, through the inspiration of God, he prophesied of the coming of Christ to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So, wow, even Enoch prophesied of you know, the coming of Jesus Christ, his second coming. The number 10, Israel's covenants, Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, five things promised to Israel will be fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Then we'll go to the key verses of the book. And it's found in the first chapter of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. When the Bible says, I am he, who is this talking? Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's a... Uh, Red letter words in my Bible. It just means that Christ here is the one who's speaking. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell or Hades and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be here after. So let me give you a uh, a quick outline of the book of Revelation. All right, there is the person of Jesus Christ. This is Christ in glory, chapter 1. Uh, this is uh, John having a glimpse of the glorified Jesus Christ with his glory. You know, so we see here Christ in glory, chapter 1. And then secondly, the possession of Jesus Christ now is the church in the world, chapters 2 and 3. And we studied these seven churches in Asia Minor. And there is the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And in order to uh, 
understand these churches, there are three approaches. There's what we call the composite approach, that these churches were existing in the time of John the Beloved when he penned these words. There are churches like Ephesus who uh, left their first love, a careless church. There's a church like Smyrna who is like a crushed church, persecuted. There's Pergamum. They began to be uh, compromising. And then Thyatira, corrupted. Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love, Laodicea, like cool off. So these churches were in existence during John's day, the composite approach. And there's also the um, contemporary approach that these churches are now in our day and age. They are churches that are uh, persecuted. There are churches like in China. Don't you know that in China is the most number of Christians per country, even though they are persecuted, even though they are you know, under communism. But the more persecution is, is the fire of revival is out there. And, and maybe, I don't know, God forbid that, is that what American churches and Christians are waiting for, to be persecuted, um, to be uh, uh, canceled or silenced? It, there might come a time when we can have that kind of persecution. So right now, while we still have the, the voice, amen, the platform and the, the privilege, let's you know, give out the word of God. Let's be a witness for him. So the third is the most interesting is the chronological approach that in every period of church history, they are uh, these churches that represents. Like, for example, the first century church is the church of Ephesus. So that's like the first 200 years of the church existence. All the way right now to Laodicea, where we can see the majority of the church, especially here in America, it's like kind of lukewarm or cooled off. So chronologically in church history, those churches can be seen. And we've studied that. Then thirdly, the program of Jesus Christ. There's the person, the possession, and the program of Jesus Christ. Now there is the scene in heaven. So now this is from chapters 4 to 22. So that's the bulk of Revelation. Now uh, let me give you a quick outline of that. The church in heaven with Christ, that's chapters 4 and 5. When Christ says in John 14, 3, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What an encouraging passage of scripture, isn't it? Let not your heart be troubled. And sometimes right now, our hearts are troubled, our hearts are weary because there's a lot of stuff going on around this world, both politically, uh, socially, morally, uh, uh, financially maybe, or, or physically, or uh, environmentally that's affecting us, things that are uh, negative, things that are evil, things that are, are, are giving us a hard time. But thanks be to God, we are encouraged by Jesus Christ himself. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. You know, and he promised us that where he is, he will bring also his children. That's why... I praise and thank God for Pastor Jetta for leading those songs tonight about heaven. Amen? When we all get to heaven, uh, I'll fly away. And uh, wonderful songs, wonderful hymns reminding us that we are just pilgrims in this world. We're just passing through. Our eternal citizenship, our eternal abode is in heaven. So I hope that would encourage you tonight. So chapters 4 and 5 is the church in heaven with Christ. Then chapter 6 to 18 is the great tribulation in the world. That's why as Christians we believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the saints. Amen? Because we won't be here. You see, the church was not mentioned ever from chapters 6 all the way to 18. And that is the bulk of the tribulation. Alright? And I give this before why we believe in the pre-tribulational rapture. You know, the next greatest prophetic event for Christianity is the rapture of the church. It's the taking away of all the genuine saved Christians all over the world. Uh, why we don't believe 
in uh, the church going through the tribulation. Some are believing it's in the midpoint or after the seven years. Because not one time in the church is mentioned in the text discussing the tribulation. So we don't find the church from chapters 6 all the way to 18, which is just the great tribulation in the book of Revelation. Second thing, in all of the writings of Apostle Paul, the church is never mentioned in connection with the tribulation or wrath. Thirdly, the church has already been judged at Calvary. The purpose of tribulation is judgment, actually, to the unbelieving world, unrepenting world. It's a judgment to uh, also to the nation of Israel because of rejecting Jesus Christ. That's why it's also called Jacob's trouble. So the picture of Enoch, like Lot, all are Bible types of, or picture of pre-tribulation. You know, they were translated to glory before judgment, the wrath of God, were poured out. Revelation 19 pictures the church in heaven during the tribulation. And number six, the coming of Christ for his saints is always pictured as sudden and unexpected, or it means imminent. So if you know that Christ is coming after the seven years of tribulation, then it's not imminent anymore, isn't it? There's a timeline. So there's no specific uh, prophecy that has to be done for Christ to come. That's why we believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the saints. All right? So as we continue on, the possession of Jesus Christ, chapter 2 and 3, the church, the program of Jesus Christ, the scene in heaven, chapters 4 to 22. Chapter 4 and 5 are the church in heaven with Christ. The great tribulation, chapter 6 to 18. And just a quick review. Opening of the seven sealed book is from chapter 6 to chapter 8. We studied there's the opening of the first seal. And the rider was a white horse. Which pictures the Antichrist, this political leader that will give false peace, the false messiah. And then there's the second seal, chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, the rider on a red horse. There's going to be war, you know. That's why he will declare a false treaty, a false peace, a covenant with Israel. Those uh, radical enemies of Israel, those Muslim nations and communist nations will try to invade Israel and they will be almost be defeated and then the Antichrist will proclaim himself as their Messiah. And there are going to be a lot of deaths. Then opening of the third seal, the rider on the black horse, it means it's uh, famine and inflation. Rider of the fourth seal, the pale horse, it's going to be uh, a lot of uh, death, pale horse, because there's going to be famine and pestilence and plagues, and he will get those people who died. And the fifth seal, there's the prayer of the martyrdom, and the sixth seal, um, this, the day of wrath has come, the beginning of the last half of the tribulation. So, uh, can you project the, the picture there? about the, When there are these uh, seven trumpets, oh, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, every time there's the seventh one being opened or being broken, like the seals, there is always an inter interlude between six and seven. So after the seal is the Trumpet, chapters 8 to chapter 11, and then chapter 12 to chapter 13, there are seven performers during the Great Tribulation. Uh, there was the woman in chapter 12, verse 1, which represents Israel. There is the red dragon, chapter 12, verse 3 and 4, which is Satan. The child of the woman, which is Jesus Christ. And there is Michael the archangel. He has wars with the dragon. And there's the wild beast, a political power and person in chapter 13, who is a, uh, the Antichrist and also the, a wild beast out of the earth, chapter 13, verse 11 to 18, a religious uh, leader. So there are those seven performers during the Great Tribulation, just in chapters 12 and 13 alone. The woman, the red dragon, the child of the woman, Michael the archangel, the remnant of Israel, and the wild beast which represents a religious leader and political leader then chapter 14 is the end of the great tribulation there will a picture of the lamb with the 144,000 verses 1 to 5 of chapter 14 there's the proclamation of the everlasting gospel pronouncement of judgment on Babylon and those are 
included there. Then chapter 15 and 16, there is the pouring out of the seven mixing bowls of wrath. All right, seven vials of wrath. And then chapter 17 and 18, there is the two Babylon judge. The apostate church in the great tribulation in chapter 17, that great harlot riding with the wild beast because during that time, there's going to be a one world religion, one world government. So that is the uh, Babylon, the evil system. All right? There's going to be that political and commercial Babylon being judged in chapter 18. So 17 and 18 is the two Babylons judged, both the uh, governmental system, our corrupt Babylon, and the religious Babylon. Then chapter 19, there's the marriage of the Lamb and return of Christ in judgment. Uh, verses 1 to 6 of chapter 19, there are the four hallelujahs. And we study this, the bride of the Lamb and the marriage supper. Return of Christ as King of kings and Lord of, uh, Lord of lords in 11 to 16. There's the war of the Armageddon, verses 17 and 18. And Christ will come back with his saints. You know, we'll be riding with a white horse and Christ will do all the battle. He will not do anything. You know, after the seven years of tribulation, he will come with his saints and do the battle in the battle of Armageddon in the valley of Megiddo. You know, and he will establish his millennial reign. And hell will be open in verses 19 to 21. He will cast uh, the Satan and he will bound him for a thousand years. That's why we studied last month the, uh, the millennium and the great white throne judgment. All right? That's in chapters 20. We see here, Satan bound for a thousand years, verses 1 to 3. The saints of the great tribulation reign with Christ for a thousand years, verses 4 to 6. Then Satan is loose after Christ, you know, reigning for a thousand years with peace and prosperity. And the curse was lifted out from the earth. But still people who survived the great tribulation will be going to the millennial reign with their physical bodies. So they will still give birth and they will still live for a long time. But still, even though there is a perfect government, there is a perfect ruler, which is Christ, they will still be deceived by Satan who will be loose for a season at the end of the 1,000 year. So that tells us of the uh, depravity of man. When man's heart is never changed, even though the environment, the government is good, if there's no inward change, then they will still be corrupted. Isn't it? That's why, because they are just going through the motion, but they are not really believing on Christ. So they will rebel one time and God will judge them. He will cast them into the lake of fire. And then there's the setting of the great white throne where the lost are judged that follow Satan into the lake of fire and brimstone. And then there goes our study tonight. <laughs> That's all just the introduction. The summary. Then we go to Gen uh, Genesis. Revelation chapters 21 to 22 is the entrance into eternity. Eternity unveiled. All right, so let's turn our Bibles in Revelation chapter 21. All right, this is the new heaven and the new earth. All right. Okay, let me uh, go to the uh, passage of Scripture. And let me read just uh, verses 1 to 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So chapters 21 and 22 are a description of the eternal state following the millennial and the final judgment, centering in the new Jerusalem as the eternal habitation of the saved in glory. You know, and we know that the first heaven and the first earth are replaced by a new heaven and a new earth predicted by Isaiah. All right? So can you put uh, that uh, slide, please, with the outline of the whole book? All right, the other one. With the diagram. 
Alright, there you go. So, just to summarize everything I said a while ago at the beginning. Alright? So, that's the main outline, another outline of the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 is Christ in glory. Uh, Revelation 2 and 3, church in the world. And Revelation 4, 22, there's a crisis in the future where it speaks about um, the tribulation and the things to come. So, Alpha and Omega, past things seen, present, the seven churches, and the beginning and the end of future, the cosmic crisis after removal of the true church and before the coming of Christ to creation. All right? And I like the diagram. It's, everything started with the cross. Chapter 1 is about Christ. We go up because John saw that vision, isn't it? And then we go down again. We saw the churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches. And then the churches cannot be seen in earth because they were raptured. Chapters 4 and 5, we go up again. They're in heaven, a sin. And then we go down from chapters 6 to 18 because what's happening in earth was the great tribulation. All right? And then chapter 9, chapter 19, it tells us that Christ came back in the battle of Armageddon to establish his millennial reign. From heaven, he, we went down, and then he establishes millennial reign, a thousand years in chapter 20. And then we go up again. Because we saw the great white throne judgment in heaven where the lost are judged forever, you know, and then eternity. So what a, uh, a nice outline of things to come, isn't it? From uh, the book of Revelation, chapters 21 to 22. This is now what we're studying, eternity, after all those wonderful things, all right? Okay, so... We will be studying about the new Jerusalem. So, human history began in paradise, the Garden of Eden, and we will all end in paradise, the new Jerusalem. So, verse 5 of Revelation 21, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Isn't it we like things that are new? That's like we, we like new year. Because a new start, we like new clothes, new car. New smell, you know. New things fascinate us. And this is something that the book of Revelation consummate or perfected after everything that happened in Revelation 21 and 22. God will make all things new. So this sums up the last two chapters of Revelation. All things will be new because in verse 6 it says there a phrase, it is done. What began in Genesis is brought to completion in Revelation. So let's put that slide again. Let's differentiate Genesis and Revelation, the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible. All right? Of course, in chapter 1, verse 1, heaven and earth was created, and then it was corrupted at the fall of man. But thanks be to God, there is a new and new heavens and new earth going to be created in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 16, sun was created, but in Revelation 21, 23, there's no need for the sun. Why? Because the Shekinah, the glory of God, will give light, will shine forevermore in heaven. We don't need, you know, those artificial light because God is light. Amen? And we will not fear that light because we are glorified. We have new bodies. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 5, night was established to distinguish seasons, uh, day, and, and, and timelines. But in heaven, there will be no night anymore. All right? In chapter 22, verse 5. In 1, uh, verse 10, in Genesis, the seas were created. But in chapter 21, verse 1, there is no more seas. All right? Because sea is a... Uh, picture of separation. There's no more separation in heaven. And the curse was announced in chapter 3, verse 14 to 17 of Genesis. The curse to Satan, the serpent, and the soil. But 22, verse 3, there's no more curse. Alright? Let's uh, see that. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and His servants shall serve them. Revelation 22, verse 3. Next, 3.19 in Genesis, death enters history. 21 verse 4, there's no more death. Amen. D-E-A-T-H and D-E-B-T. Amen. Praise God. 
chapter 3, verse 24 of Genesis, man was driven from paradise. But in chapter 22, verse 14, man was restored to paradise. Later on, we will see how lovely, how beautiful this place is. Chapter 3, verse 17 in Genesis, sorrow and pain began. But in Revelation 21, 4, no more tears or pain or sorrow. All right? So don't you look forward going to heaven? Amen. But some are saying, not now, Pastor. Not now. I still have things to accomplish, things to do in this life. Uh, I still want to know more about God. I still want to serve Him. Make Him known also. Know Him and make Him known. That's why there's a song, What a Day That Will Be When My Jesus I Shall See. So, quickly, before we end, 10 facts about this new Jerusalem. I'm going to be able probably to finish, finish this. Maybe we'll go to like five of them. 10 facts about the new Jerusalem. I tell you, this new Jerusalem is going to be the capital and the capital of the recreated universe, the new heaven and the new earth. And this new Jerusalem has many um, names in the Bible. It's called like glory or Beulah land. But uh, the dimension of this as we're going to study is 1500. It's like a perfect cube. All right? And it's room enough for everybody who had lived here on earth. It's like from Massachusetts all the way to Florida. That's like about 1,500 miles. You know? Height, weight, uh, breadth, length, and width. All right? Perfect city. So first is heaven is a real place. Amen? You know, there's a song by John Lennon. Imagine there is no heaven. You know? I, I can't imagine that because the Bible tells and teaches about heaven. Liberals deny its existence Say, saying it's just a state of mind or a wishful thinking. But Jesus said, and I believe Jesus' words, He said, I go to prepare a place for you. There where I am, there ye may be also in John chapter 14. It's literal, it's tangible, it's described in detail because there are people who have seen it. And we're able to tell us something about it. Of course, John the Beloved have seen through the pen, penning of Revelation, this, uh, those streets of gold, those pearly, pearly gates, those things that can be seen in heaven in John, uh, Revelation chapter 1. There is Apostle Paul who was translated into glory and he said, there's no words that could express the things he has seen in heaven. You know, there is uh, Jacob, in the Old Testament, who's, who saw a vision like a ladder of like hosts of heaven going up and down. He had a little peak. So we know it's a real place because Christ primarily said that he is out there preparing a place for us. That's why we can see in verses 1 and 2 the word saw. John saw. He is not daydreaming. He is not just hallucinating. It was real. That's why he penned it in detail. Heaven is as real as Hackensack, New Jersey is. Isn't it? Our two neighboring uh, brethren who are here tonight. It's as true as, as this town is. Lodi. And in there we'll have real bodies, glorified bodies. Jesus rose from the dead in his glorified body. And we know he could pass through walls as we've seen in the gospel. But yet he could touch people Sit down and eat. Amen? As Baptists, we're still going to eat in heaven. There's real food in heaven. It's called angel's cake. I'm just kidding. There's the, the tree of life there. We can eat those precious fruits. You know? So, it's real as it gets. It will be a different existence, but as real as it gets. So, first thing, heaven is a real place. Second thing is heaven it all starts with R, R is a remaining place. Look at verse 1, the phrase, the first earth were passed away. You see, nothing you see on this physical earth is going to last. Nothing will remain. Isn't it? Uh, recently, have you heard about this mission that they had to send um, uh, a flying object to Mars? I think they were, it happened, isn't it? They put out pictures. But, the scientists and NASA and other people who spent billions of dollars are disappointed because they said that planet is like a hellhole. You know, nothing can survive there or live. 
And if they just read the Bible, of course, it's only earth that God put Eve, who is the mother of all living, where there is life and uh, uh, conducive to life. And uh, those other planets are not mentioned in the Bible, even though the Bible says that he made the stars also, you know, that speaks of the galaxies. You know, we know they are so uh, overwhelmingly, uh, uh, you know, in expanse, they're all over. There's like, we cannot even measure them, isn't it? How, how vast the universe is, but the Bible just says he made the stars also. That's, but when God created uh, the earth, he made some fine details. He narrates it and even the making, the creation of men. But those things he just said, let there be stars and galaxies and planets. And there was so. So, uh, nothing on this earth, physical earth, is going to last because God will create a new heaven and new earth. Nothing will remain. You know, we like to have nice things and we should enjoy them, but don't get too attached, isn't it? They are just temporary. They are just resources we can use to give glory to God. They are not permanent. In the end, all we have left is our soul. Amen? All we have left is our soul. So, invest in your soul and spirit. That's why you have to feed your soul with the Word of God. Know Him more. Experience Him more. Serve Him more. You know, hide God's Word in your heart. Uh, live it out because our soul is what is important in the eyes of God. Remember that passage of Scripture when God says, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain his, the whole world but loses his own soul? What will a man exchange for his soul? Why? Our soul is so important because it was created in the image of God. Isn't it? It is something that will remain for eternity, everlasting. You know, we, don't, we know that we, di we did not exist from all eternity past, but once you are born, one, once God put a soul and a spirit in a man, then that soul or spirit will last somewhere and will be destined somewhere either in heaven or in hell for all eternity. So, all we have in eternity is the treasure we send ahead. Amen? The treasures we send ahead. There is a, a fixed fictitious uh, story of two women that died. Probably heard about it, about this. Two women died and one was stingy and miserable. And sad to say she was a Christian, but she was very greedy. And when she gave, it was grudgingly. So she had a maid working for her. She didn't have much but loved to give and look for opportunities to do so. So both women died according to this fictional story. And an angel escorted the wealthy woman around. He said, let me take you to your new home and on the way we'll pass by your maid's house. So down the golden street they went and as they approached a great mansion, she said, wow, and that's just for my maid? I can't wait to see my place, this wealthy Christian woman. You know? Then they move on to a cardboard shanty. What is this? Sorry, the angel said, we did our best with the materials you sent ahead. <laughs> Jesus said, we sent ahead of us treasures by how we serve and how we give now. Amen? And what God requires is not how great, how uh, lavish you give, but your faithfulness in giving it. Because we are all stewards. And the requirement for stewards is to be found faithful. You know, Jesus said we send ahead of us treasures by how we serve and how we give. That's why we have that passive scriptures, you know, uh, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. So it says here, every stain of sin, every evidence of evil will be vanquished as well when the old earth is destroyed. And all that will be left is our souls and our spiritual investments stored up for us. So one of the most precious experiences we will have in heaven is being approached by someone who says, You know what? I got saved because of your witness. I got saved because you give unto the work of the Lord. I got saved because you 
you know, cared for this missionary and you prayed for him and you gave your faith promise giving. I got saved because of your testimony, of your mission giving, your prayers, etc. You see, that will be a great experience in heaven, isn't it? Because of what you've done for Christ while you are here on earth. So heaven is a real place, it's a remaining place. Thirdly, heaven is a readied place. All right, prepared, it's readied. Verse 2, you know, prepare, I, I, I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down from God of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, you know. You know, I've done some weddings, and I believe that it takes the bride a long time to get ready, isn't it? Hours and hours with someone just to dress her up, you know, make her hair, put some makeup. Of course, she wants to look. Look very, very beautiful and pretty. And the Lord also has spent a lot of time readying heaven for us. It's now about 2,000 years. Amen? When Christ said, I'll go to prepare a place for you. And the Lord is sparing no expense in readying heaven for us. 2,000 years compared to six days of creation. And there's some great beauty in this earth, even though it's been cursed, but there is no beauty that can ever be compared to heaven, to New Jerusalem. R.G. Lee says, a um, wonderful evangelist and scholar of the Bible, heaven is the most marvelous place the wisdom of God could conceive and that the power of God could prepare. Let me repeat that. Heaven is the most marvelous place the wisdom of God could conceive and the power of God could prepare. And is being prepared for you and me. Amen? For Christians who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. You know the butterfly? We know it's beautiful. There are different varieties of butterfly. The sculpted rose, there are beautiful creation. The stars and the planets, they are all created by God in six days. And by comparison to heaven... You know, like the Grand Canyon will be like just an infected wound. Because even though you are marveled by the Grand Canyon, those landscapes, it cannot be con compared to the beauty of heaven. There's a story of a little girl who was born blind. And the only beauty she knew came from her mother's descriptions of flowers in spring, trees in fall, snow in winter, ocean in summertime. The girl could only imagine at those things that her mother told her. But at 10 years of age, he had an experimental surgery to help her see. There were bandages in her eyes for several weeks. Moment of truth came, bandages were removed, and she saw, and he ran to the window and stood breathless. And he told her mother, why didn't you tell me it was this beautiful? The mother said, I tried to, but words just wouldn't suffice. As I said, a picture is... More, uh, worth more than a thousand words, isn't it? That's why our vision, our gift of seeing is really uh, uh, great, isn't it? Very important, I think, with all of our five senses. I believe that in heaven we'll turn, we'll turn and run around breathless, and when we see the Apostle John will say, Why did you tell me this place is so beautiful? As you just described in Revelation, it was not enough. But he'll say, I tried, but words would not suffice. How beautiful heaven must be. That's why there's a passive scripture in 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, I had not seen or ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God had prepared for them that love him. Looking forward. Amen? Lalo na kapag naghihirap ka rito sa mundo, no? Maraming tribulation, maraming problema. Heaven is sweeter. Heaven is sweeter. That's why uh, I, I say this, you know, isn't it God, when you became a Christian, God didn't just solve all your problems and trials and made you rich. You know why? Because you will not probably appreciate heaven. You will not look forward going there because you're going to be too comfortable here on earth. But aren't you glad that God just knows what's, what we need? Amen? Fourthly, heaven is a place of relationship. It will be a place of relationship. The fourth R, 
This is what makes heaven, heaven. In verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. There's a relationship there. His people, he will be their God. This is what makes heaven to be heaven. If the streets were not gold but gravel, if the walls were particle board and not jasper, if mud was knee deep and weeds over our heads, it would still be heaven because Jesus is there. Amen? That's what matters. You know, because we won't be there anyways in the first place without the sacrifice of Christ. If you're lost tonight, if you're not saved, this thought should terrify you. Not just that you would go to a fiery hell, but you would go somewhere cut off from God. That's a place called hell. A lost person would be terrified even in his presence at the great white throne of judgment as God once and for all judges every man who did not repent of their sin, who reject the gospel, who reject Jesus, and that those books will be opened and their, their names will not be written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a book that will judge them according to their works and they will be cast into the lake of fire. That will be a time of terrible judgment. They will tremble at the face of God at that great white throne judgment. But as Christians being face to face with Him is will, will going to be a precious contemplation for the believer because that would make heaven what it is. Being able to be in the presence of our Savior. And in heaven, there will, there will see the only man-made thing in heaven. What is that? The man-made thing that will be seen in heaven are the nail-scarred hands of Christ and His nail-scarred feet. Because as we study about all of God is preparing for us, let's not forget the paralyzing sight will behold in the nail-scarred hands and feet of Christ. Why it will be there? It will be a constant reminder of how we got there in the first place. Amen? Is the sacrificial death because of the love of Christ that Pastor Abel sang about a while ago. We won't say when we get to heaven, look how great I am. But we will say how great thou art, Lord. How great thou art. That's why Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's why going to heaven is only by the grace of God. It's a free gift. Amen? Heaven is not a reward for those who are faithful, because we can't work our way to heaven. No matter how faithful you are in this world, you know, apart from Christ's saving power, you try to be faithful in obeying the commandments in your religion or anything. No. But we'll be elated. What it means? We'll be like joyous, jubilant, very happy. We're elated when in heaven, but only because we were related to Jesus in the first place. You know? We became joint heirs with Christ. We became the sons and the daughters of our Heavenly Father. Why? Because heaven is a place of relationship. Last, heaven for tonight is a place of relief. Verse 4 and 5. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Oh, no more crying. No more sighing. No more dying there. No hospitals or nurses there. No respiratory therapists there. Huh? No hospitals or graves, and Satan will not be able to get a passport to go, to go there. Why? Because he will be in that bottomless pit. All the fallen angels will be chained up. There will be no aging, no wrinkles there. The fountain of life, the fountain of youth will be there. One drink and all the signs of age gone. Nothing will ruin, rot or rust. There will be no thirsting or hungering, no itching, no blindness. No deaf, deafness, no diabetes, no cancer, or heat, or heat, heart attacks, heat attacks, huh? or scars, no witchcraft, no drugs, no alcohol, or tobacco, no divorce, no child abductions, no accidents. And if you haven't said amen yet, no more taxes or bills amen. up there. Amen. There's a big amen from Pastor Abel. It means I need to end. All right? 
Amen. Amen. Let me end with this story. You know. So what we learned tonight, heaven is a real place. It's a remaining place. A reddit place. A place of relationship. A place of relief. Next, maybe we'll be studying. It's a place of refreshing. A restricted place. A place of riches. A place of righteousness. And a place of refuge. But I'll end with this story. There's a five-year-old girl who had never stayed the night. But one night, he stayed with a friend. And he was, she was nervous. So she gave it a try to stay. She did fine during the daytime, but when it got dark, she got nervous in a strange place. The friend's mother perceived this, and she said, Honey, are you getting homesick? With childlike innocence, she replied, No, ma'am. I'm getting here sick. You know, the more you may go through down here in this world, sometimes as Christians, we feel like the sweeter heaven will be for you. Romans 8.18 declares, For I reckon the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So are you suffering tonight? Are you having a hard time tonight? I don't know what kind of area in your life. I tell you, this verse of scripture encourages us. For this present time, the sufferings that we have are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Some call it heaven, New Jerusalem, pearly, white city, glory land, but we can call it our home, our eternal home. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture in Revelation chapter 21 where you promise you will create a new heaven and a new earth. Thank you that this place is real. It remains. It is ready for us we will be there because we have a relationship with its creator, our Heavenly Father. Thank you to remind us that nothing up there will be there except something that was man-made here in heaven. The scars of Christ on his nail-scarred hands and feet. And also the things that we've done for you. Our works, our good works. The souls that we are able to lift up in heaven for the cause of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that these are wonderful things that we can look forward to. Sometimes we feel like kind of homesick for that country, as the song says. So if you're here tonight, you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, if you haven't known Him as your Savior, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun tonight. And there is the gospel, the good news that in order for you to get to heaven, your broken relationship with God has to be fixed, has to be restored because we had fallen short of His glory. We all have sin come short. And that sin has to be paid for, has to be punished. But Christ took our place. He took our punishment. He died on the cross. He shed His blood. So if you're here tonight, you're not sure that you will spend eternity in heaven when you die. Why not trust Christ tonight? Just realize your loss. You're a sinner. Just repent of your sin. Ask Him to forgive you. Thirdly, receive Christ by faith as your Savior. Just pray to the Lord this way. If you haven't done this before, I lead you to a prayer of accepting Christ. Pray to the Lord this way. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me with an everlasting love. That you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried and you rose again. I realize I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I repent of all my sins. Forgive me, O Lord. And by faith, I receive you as my Lord and personal Savior. Thank you for saving me this moment. Help me to live for you from this day forth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's an invitation of accepting Christ. You've never done that, and if you've done that, let us know. But if you're here as a Christian, this is a wonderful promise made to us by our 
Savior by God Almighty. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. A new Jerusalem prepared for us. A wonderful city. But what are the things you're doing in your life? What are you spending? Your in what are you in investing? What are you... The treasure is sending out there in heaven. I hope you are doing something not for your glory, but for the glory of Christ. These rewards, these prizes, these crowns that we can earn as a reward for our faithfulness of what we've done with this borrowed life, with this time, talent, and treasure that we have. So tonight, as we pray, let's thank God for our salvation. Let's thank God that we are heaven-bound. Let's thank God for our blessed assurance and eternal security. But while we are here on earth, we have a job to do. We have a duty to perform until Christ calls us home. Father in heaven, bless the prayers of thy people. Thank you, Lord, for scriptures that have been read, the truths that have been shared tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for a place, Lord, that we can look forward to. Thank you, Lord, that you reminded us that we are just pilgrims, sojourners. In this world, this is not our permanent home. And we thank you, Lord, that one of these days you will deliver us from this evil and corrupt world. But while we are here, Lord, help us to be your light and salt. Help us, Lord, to do your will. Help us, Lord, to be a channel of blessing to others. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.